Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Once again, I am not Henry Jones. Henry always wants me to point that out uh, when he's not here. Hey, listen, there is a, there's a story in John chapter 8 that I think we're all familiar with. And I want you, if you will, as we begin this morning, to try to just kind of imagine with me this story. There's some religious men uh, who have heard a rumor. And this rumor sends them on a journey and, and they come to this house and they push their way into this house. And in this house, there are a man, there's a man and a woman committing the act of adultery. And the Bible tells us that they literally go in and catch them in the act. And, and I want you to imagine for a moment, they, they, they just reach in literally into the bed and they pull that woman out. She, she barely has time maybe to grab a sheet and somehow half cover herself and they pull her out of the house and out into the street. And these are religious men, they're self-righteous men and they're, they're spitting at her. They're, they're probably calling her derogatory terms that we still use in our society today. As they, as they haul her through the street, one by one, they're reaching over and they're picking up rocks or picking up stones. People that are walking down the street see this commotion and this half-clothed woman being drug around by these people in fancy robes. And they, of course, everybody wants, thinks, man, what's going to happen? What's, what's going on here? Where's this going? And so they begin to follow her. So you've got a crowd moving through the streets and she's wondering, where are they going to take me? And she looks up and of all things... They go into the temple. They, they take her into a church, a, a place of prayer, a, a house of worship, a place of, of holiness where all the good people are. And they take her in there, ha- again, half-clothed, all the crowd, and there's a man teaching in the temple, and he's got a crowd around him. And they throw her at the feet of this holy man. Literally hundreds of people sitting there looking at her. And I want you to think for one moment... Put yourself in her shoes. Can you imagine how she must have felt? This morning, I want to talk to you about shame. There's not a one of us in here that aren't familiar with what shame feels like. You, you don't go through life without doing something that you're ashamed of. Or having something done to you that you're ashamed of. And, and shame is this, it's this insidious thing, man. It just, it just attaches itself to you and it won't let go. It becomes like a, a piece of who you are. Listen, I guarantee you there are people in this room today that carry shame from things you did 30, 40, 50 years ago. Shame just, it won't let go. It, it, it begins, it affects how you see yourself and how you view yourself. It affects your relationships with others. It, it affects your relationship with God. And yet, oddly enough, I don't know if I can, in my whole life, I maybe heard one or two sermons on shame. It's just something that we don't talk about. 
but yet it's a sermon I think we are as desperately needed. Because as long as you're carrying around that, that shame, like, it's like a, carrying a backpack full of rocks. You, you can never be the person you need to be. You can never be the person that God has called you to be as long as you carry around shame. So this morning, and I've been thinking about this for quite a while. This sermon actually started back in January. And I've wanted to preach it a couple of times, but every time I started to preach it, I I just wasn't ready. I didn't feel like I understood shame. And I think that's a problem with a lot of us. We, We carry shame, but we don't really understand it. We don't know how to get rid of it. So this morning, I want to help you, if you're one of those here, and listen, in a crowd this size, I'm sure there's not just a few, but there's probably many. And you go through this life carrying shame. There is no reason for you to walk out of here carrying that burden anymore. There is freedom and deliverance here today. If you walk out of here today with shame, that's on you. That's on you. You made that choice. So I want to tell you this morning how to overcome shame. Now, as I get into this, I need to first do a couple things. I need to, we need to learn a little bit more about shame. I want to tell you a few things this morning about shame. Here's the first thing. Shame and guilt are two different things. See, one of the reasons we don't talk about shame a lot is we equate shame with guilt and we see them as the same thing. So we talk a lot about guilt, but we never really talk about shame. But, but shame and guilt are, are two different things. Now listen, they both come with sin. They are related. They are our are cousins, so to speak. But they are two different things. And I want to show you that this morning from Scripture. The first Scripture, I'm going to show you some, something. Uh, the very first man and woman that ever existed, Adam and Eve, the very first book in the Bible is Genesis. The very first sin ever committed, of course, was committed by them. And I want to show you from their experience that shame and guilt are two different things. The first Scripture I want to read is Genesis 2.25. And it says this, and this just kind of sets the stage. It says this, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, I want to stop right there. This is a picture of a world without sin, what we would call the pre-sin world. There is no sin, there is no guilt, and there is no shame. Everything is exactly 100% perfect. And in this world, God has one rule, just one, one law, one ordinance. Don't eat of that tree. That's it. That's the only law they've, they've got to worry about. Don't eat of that tree. Genesis 3, 6. Move a little bit further in the story. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now I'm going to stop right there. That is the very first sin. And with the very first sin comes guilt. They have broken the law of God. You see, guilt is a legal term, right? We still use it today. We say we find somebody guilty or we say they're, they're not guilty of breaking some law. And so it's a legal term. It, it means that we are aware that we have broken the law of God. Now, we talk a lot about guilt. And by the way, we should. For example, Romans 3.23, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's guilt. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's law. We've all fallen short of the standard. We are all guilty. And we talk a lot about guilt because of this reason. I think Jesus said 
in Matthew 9, only sick people go to the doctor. His point was, is if you don't know you're sick, you never go to the doctor. Well, if you don't know you're guilty, you'll never ask for forgiveness. So that's why we talk a lot about guilt, because we want people to understand we're guilty. And our, and, and our hope and prayer is that once they are aware of that, they will go to the physician. They'll go to the judge. They'll ask for forgiveness. But guilt is different from shame. Read verse 7 with me. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now stop right there. This, this is one of the most interesting scriptures in the Bible to me. Do, do you understand when God created Adam and Eve, they were absolutely perfect. They both had perfect bodies. They were no, no flaws, no blemishes. Absolutely perfect. And then sin comes in. Now, the moment before they sinned, they were absolutely perfect as far as their bodies and the look of their bodies. The moment after they sinned, nothing had changed. It wasn't like she ate that fruit and Adam looked at her and said, Honey, you like you put on 10 pounds or so. It's nothing like that, right? They're exactly the same before as they were after. Yet, it says they were ashamed. They, they tried to cover themselves up. Now, here's the point. What's different? What changed? What changed is how they feel about themselves. What changed is inside of each, each one of them, something changed. They, they, they were ashamed. How they felt about themselves changed. Listen, that's shame. You see, guilt always tries to bring its cousin along for the ride. Shame is first and foremost about how you feel about yourself. Guilt is just a legal term. I'm guilty. Shame, though, involves our feelings. And because it changes how we feel about ourselves, it, it changes how we think other people see us. And by the way, it also changes our relationship with God. Genesis 3, 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid, listen, not because I ate of the fruit. I'm afraid not because I'm guilty. See, he's afraid I'm naked. I'm, he's ashamed. It has directly affected his relationship, not only with his wife, but now it's affected his relationship with God. You see, in the end, shame is a feeling. It's about how you feel about yourself. Listen to me. It's about your identity. Let me put it as simple as I can possibly put it for a way to remember. Shame's message is, you have done something bad. I'm sorry, guilt's message is, you have done something bad. Shame's message is, you are bad. Everybody see the difference? Guilt's message is, I've done something bad. Shame comes along and says, no, I am bad. And it is an insidious thing. Sin leaves both in its wake. Now here's the thing about shame and why we need to understand the difference. Did you know as Christians, we can come to God and we can ask for forgiveness and forgiveness is granted and our guilt is, is cast away, it's done away. Did you know shame can hang around? Even after you've received forgiveness, even after that, that debt has been forgiven, even after our guilt is gone, shame has a way of just hanging around, saying, you're not good, you're not worthy, you're not valuable, you don't deserve that. 
you're not as good as this or good as them. It just has a way. It's an, it's an insidious thing. And even Christians can carry this around for years and years and years, and it just lingers on. Shame and guilt are connected, but they're different. There's a couple other things I want you to know about shame and guilt. Did you know it's possible to feel shame without being guilty of anything? One of the things that makes talking about shame tricky is I think there's, and I'm going I'm to show you this in a minute, I think there's good shame and there's bad shame. Now listen, we live in a world where they want to tell you all shame is bad. You shouldn't be ashamed of anything. Just be yourself. Own who you are. Don't be ashamed of anything. And so we're taught all the time, just don't worry about it. Just don't be ashamed. But I think there's a good shame and there's a bad shame. And I'll explain the, the good shame in a little bit. But you see, there's a type of shame that people carry that is, is, is horrible. It serves no good purpose at all. And that is a shame that attaches to people when they are not guilty of, of anything. We see this all the time. We've all felt it growing up. When, we, when you're teased or made fun of because you're poor or, or because of the clothes you wear or, or your body type, you become ashamed and you've done nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing wrong. Did y'all see that thing this, this, a couple weeks ago about the kid in the UT t-shirt? So a kid down in Altamont, they have a, a college spirit day, and he's a big uh, Tennessee volunteer fan, and so he doesn't have a T-shirt. He's got an orange shirt, but he doesn't have anything that says UT on it. So he hand-makes a sign on a piece of paper that says UT, and he pins it to his shirt. And he's so proud. And he comes to school, and his teacher takes a picture, and, and he's proud. And at lunch, he looks over there, and he's crying, just, just bawling tears. And he goes over there, and what's wrong? And a bunch of girls had made fun of him. How that was stupid, how that was ugly, how he was too poor to afford a, a T-shirt. That, that kid is guilty of nothing, but he feels shame. We see it in, 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 in uh, cases of sexual molestation or rape where, where the victims take on the shame, like they've done something wrong when they've done absolutely nothing wrong. You see, there is a bad shame. This type of shame does nothing good, serves no good purpose. It's harmful, it's debilitating, but it's still real shame. And it still needs to be dealt with. And if you're, if you're carrying some of that around today, you can still deal with that today. So it's not only possible to feel shame without being guilty. Now here's a tough one. It's possible to be guilty and feel no shame. Back in January, I mentioned to you that this is where the sermon... I had to go down to Tampa, and I drove down, and I was in the car, and I normally listen to a podcast on my iPhone, so I was listening to a podcast. And in the podcast, there was a, they were reading a letter from a woman. And this woman had, um, had been agonizing for years over a particular sin that she had been thinking about committing. And, and she had fought it and fought it and fought it for a while, and finally... She, she got tired of fighting it. She said, I'm not going to fight this anymore. And, and she stepped over the line and she stepped into this sin. Now, I want to read the letter that she wrote. And I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read the excerpt from it. This is her words. She said, I've agonized over this for years, but I'm not ashamed anymore. I've prayed and prayed and I've studied and I don't feel any condemnation from God. In fact, I feel fine about it. I feel free. I feel unconvicted. 
And I remember as I, as I heard that letter being read, I thought, wait a minute, how can that be? When you're guilty of breaking God's law, and by the way, the sin that she was committing was a clear, clear uh, breaking of God's law. How is it that somebody can break God's law and be 100% guilty, and yet they say, I feel free. I feel unburdened. I, I don't feel any shame at all. How can that be? We see the Apostle Paul understood this type of person far better than I ever will. I want to read one of his verses. Again, there's several of these, but he says this in Ephesians 4, 18 and 19. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of, that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of of impurity. Let me tell you. Remember that lady? She said, I've agonized for years. You see, when you continually reject the drawing of God, day after day, week after week, month after month, continually the Holy Spirit tries to deal you with you about a particular sin, and you just you, you rebuff Him over and over and over again. There could very well come a day when God says, Okay. Okay, you want that sin so bad. You want that sin more than me? Take it. Have at it. The Bible says in Romans 1, the word that is used is God gave them up. God gave them up. God will literally pull back. And do you know when He pulls back, conviction is gone. Shame is gone. Any, any, you feel free. You should. Because nobody's... No, the Holy Spirit's not dealing with you anymore. Let me tell you something. If you can commit sin and there's no sense of shame, that is a sign that something is terribly, terribly broken. Something is terribly, terribly wrong. When you can break God's law and the Holy Spirit's not dealing with you about it, that's a sign that He's pulled back. You see, it is possible to be guilty and yet feel no shame. But that is a terrible, terrible place to be. The fourth thing that I want to, to point out uh, about shame is there is a good type of shame. When, when you break God's law, when you clearly break His law, and you are ashamed of it, shame comes along with that. Can I tell you this morning, that is a blessing from God. That is a blessing from God. Do you understand that we live in a culture where shame has almost disappeared? Just these past few weeks, I saw an actress get on Twitter and, and basically brag about killing two of her children. See, she just killed them in the womb. She didn't wait till they were born, so it's okay. And she says, I'm not sorry. I'm glad I did it. I've I seen the New York legislature pass a law that says you can kill an unborn baby up to the minute before it's born... And then I saw the group of senators stand up and cheer and applaud. And I want to say, have you no shame? People are doing things out in the open, and I'm like, where has shame gone? And you see, the world don't want to be ashamed of anything. In fact, the only thing I'm, I think anybody's ashamed of is just being ashamed. That, that's the only they tell you, don't feel ashamed. But I want you to know shame is a good thing. It can be a good thing. Many of you have never heard of a guy by the name of Dr. Paul Brand. Dr. Paul Brand was a medical doctor. He graduated 
from medical school, and he was a Christian, and he went on the, on the mission field. And his first posting was to India. And in India, they have a lot of leprosy, or at least they did in the late 1900s, had, a, had leper colonies. And where he was posted was, was close to a leper colony. And as a Christian and as a doctor, he thought, well, you know what? I need, to, I need to try to help these people. I need to try to go over and show them some comfort and, and, and see if there's any way I can alleviate their suffering. Because leprosy, um, even today, by the way, there's a, uh, about a quarter million cases of leprosy around the world, even today. And leprosy is just that people are outcast. And so he goes over and he begins to, uh, he begins to work with them. Now, if you've ever seen pictures of leprosy, and you can go Google leprosy and go to the images and you can see pictures. One of the things you'll notice about leprosy is that a lot of the people are missing appendages. They're missing fingers, they're missing toes, they're missing uh, their noses, they're missing ears. Some of their extremities are, are missing. And literally for thousands of years, people just thought, well, that's just part of the disease. That the disease just basically rots away your fingers, it rots away your toes, and, and that's, just, that's just part of the disease. But as Dr. Paul Brand began to work with these guys, he noticed something different. And he became being the very first person to recognize that it wasn't the disease rotting away their fingers. That wasn't what was happening. See, what leprosy does is it calcifies or hardens the pain nerves. See, we've all got these really sensitive nerves in our fingers and our toes, our nose, our ears, think places like that, that feel pain. And one of the things that leprosy does is it hardens these nerves, it calcifies them, so these lepers don't feel any pain. Now, when you first hear that, a lot of us would think, well, that's not so bad. Man, if I could go through life and I didn't have to feel pain, that would be awesome. Dude, that wouldn't be awesome at all. You see, what would happen is these lepers would step on a nail, they wouldn't even know it. They'd just keep going. And eventually that nail, it would get infected. And it would begin all red and fiery. And they didn't even know it. they just keep going. Until eventually it turns into gangrene and now they got to start amputating. Or, or, or they would break an ankle. Just get right back up and keep going. Didn't even feel it. And they would never get it taken care of. And then it gets to a point where the damage is so bad it has to be just, just cut off. They would put their hands under water. You and I would put our hands under hot water and we'd pull back. That's hot. They have no clue. So they just put their hands in scalding water and, and it would burn them and it would get infected and they'd end up losing their, their fingers. See, it turns out, Dr. Brand, he began to really study on this. And he thought, you know, pain, pain isn't just something the body does. It's a gift from God. See, pain tells us, hey, something's wrong. Do something about it. Right? Your foot hurts. Go take, get it taken care of. You know, if we step on a nail, we're gonna, we're gonna take the pressure off of it. We're not just gonna keep going. We're gonna put some hydrogen peroxide or something on it. We're gonna deal with it because the pain tells us something is wrong. In fact, Dr. Brand wrote a book called The Gift of Pain. I read that book several years ago. It's a great book. And if you've never read it, I suggest that you do that. Now listen, you say, well, why are you telling me all that? Because it's no accident that in the Bible, leprosy is often used as an analogy for sin. You see, the same thing that leprosy does as it hardens those pain nerves, sin does in a spiritual sense. I want you to think for a moment of shame as moral pain. Think of shame as moral pain. You see, when you feel shame, it's telling you something's wrong. 
You shouldn't be feeling that. You got, there's something wrong. You need to deal with it spiritually. But see, if you let sin go on and on, eventually it's going to harden your heart and it's going to sear your conscience. And there comes a point where one day you're just sinning with impunity and you don't feel a thing. See, we got to deal with that thing up front. The absence of shame is not a blessing, it's a curse. See, shame, again, tells us something is wrong. We saw that. Go back to Genesis 3-7. It says this, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew. See, they knew. They had a new knowledge. Something, something's wrong. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, Adam and Eve feel shame. Now, by the way, they've never felt this before. They don't know what it is. And I want you to notice their first inclination is to do what? Not deal with the shame, but cover it up. And every person that's ever felt, ever felt shame since Adam and Eve do the exact same thing. Our first inclination, our first response is not to deal with the cause of the shame, but it's to cover it up. That leads us to the fifth thing about shame. Nobody, and I mean nobody, can cover their own shame. And I don't care what you try you can't do it. You can try it with drugs. You can try it with alcohol. You can try it with sexual encounters. You can try it with prescription drugs. You can try to cover it all up. Nobody. That shame just sits there and it just festers and it just festers and it just festers and it festers. So how do we deal with shame? Well, the story of Adam and Eve also tells us the solution or God's solution to shame. Genesis 3.21 says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now this is a really interesting scripture. They, they try to clothe themselves or cover themselves with fig leaves that they've sewed together. And God shows up on the scene and you would think he would say, What are y'all doing? Are y'all crazy? Do you really think wearing some fig leaves is going to deal with this problem? What Y'all shouldn't do it. But he doesn't do that. In fact, what he does is he covers them better. He covers them better. Do you, do you understand that when it says God... Let's read that again. Genesis 3.21. The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins. Do you understand to get those skins, God had to kill the first animal that ever died. The very first death that ever occurred in the world was God killing an animal to take the skins and clothe Adam and Eve. The very first blood that was ever shed, ever, on this planet was shed so that God could cover the shame of, excuse me, of Adam and Eve. See, what this tells us is that covering is actually a right thing to do. God didn't say, hey, y'all don't even try to cover it. No, covering is a right response. Our sin, our guilt, our shame needs to be covered. But it also tells us that all of our coverings are inadequate. Only God, only God can provide an adequate covering. You see, something must be done for shame, but listen to me. It requires the death and the shed blood of an innocent substitute. Something needs to be done to cover your sin and your guilt and your shame, but it requires the death of an innocent substitute. Now listen, Adam and Eve lived way before Jesus. And they, just like everybody else in the Old Testament, 
had to rely on a temporary covering. They had to go to the temple and they had to sacrifice a goat or sacrifice a lamb or sacrifice a dove. And somehow that blood covered them temporarily. But we have something better than that. Hebrews 8.6 says this, But now Jesus, our own high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God. Now listen to this. Based on better promises. Better promises. You see, in that Garden of Adam and Eve, in that Garden of Eden, God kills an animal, sheds the blood of an animal to cover Adam and Eve. And what God is doing is saying, this is going to have to suffice for now, but one day, one day, I'm going to send a better sacrifice. One day, I'm going to bring a Redeemer. And when He comes, it's a better covenant. And what He's going to do is going to provide not just a covering, but something else. 1 John 1, 9. Listen to this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Stop right there. That's guilt. That's your guilt. You have broken God's law. If you will confess that, it says He will forgive you of that guilt. But Jesus doesn't stop there. The rest of that verse says, And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, cleanse us from all the effects of sin, which includes shame. He's not satisfied with just covering it up. He's not satisfied with just forgiveness. He wants to clean you up totally and completely. He wants to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We've got promises like Romans 8, uh, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. That woman, half-clothed, is thrown down at the feet of this holy man, Jesus. And we all know the story. Jesus looks around at these, these self-righteous men. And he says, whoever is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And of course, they, they drop their stones and they all walk off. And then Jesus turns to that woman. And he says, where are your accusers? Does anybody condemn you? And she said, nobody, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Neither do I. Neither do I. One last thing about shame. One of the things that I, like I said, since January, I've been wrestling around with this and thinking about this. And one of the things I've come to realize is that shame is deeply connected to unbelief. Shame is deeply connected to unbelief. We sang that song this morning, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. Do you believe it? Do you really believe that? If you really believe that, you can't carry shame anymore. Shame comes from the old man, the old woman, the old person, the things that you did back then. That's not me anymore. I am a new creation. I'm a new person. I am who He says I am. If you're still carrying shame, don't tell me you believe that. That's why shame is so connected to unbelief. Listen, Jesus has restored our dignity. He died on that cross. He carried not only our sins, He bore our shame. He's not a half-savior. His death, His blood is sufficient to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, He died to restore our dignity. Listen, what we sold so cheaply 
in Eden. And what some of you sold so cheaply last night, or a week ago, or a month ago, or when you were in high school, or when you were in college, you sold it so cheaply. He's come to buy it back. He's come to buy it back, to restore the dignity that you lost. Let me tell you folks, healing is not found in the shadows. It's not found in drugs or alcohol or any other thing that we try to cover it up with. Healing is found in the light of Jesus Christ. Zach Williams has an album, um, Chain Breaker. I know you all know the song. We sing it here. There's another song on his album, um, which I like even better. It's called Come to the Table. I want to read a few lyrics. I know some of y'all know this song. He says this, Hear the voice of love that's calling. There's a chair that waits for you. And a friend who understands everything you're going through. But you keep standing at a distance in the shadow of your shame. While there's a light of hope that's shining, won't you come and take your place? He can see the weights you carry, the fears that hold your heart. But through the cross you've been forgiven. You're accepted as you are. And then my favorite line, bring it all to the table. There ain't nothing he ain't seen before. Let me tell you, this morning I set it up front. If you walk out of here with shame, that's on you. There is a table spread. There is a table Jesus Christ has prepared for you. And at that table, you are who He says you are. At that table, you are forgiven. At that table, you are perfect in His eyes. At that table, you are chosen. At that table, you are free. At that table, you are clean. At that table, you are a child of God. At that table, you are a joint heir with Christ. At that table, you are sealed with the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. At that table, you are who He says you are. The question this morning is, will you come to the table? Will you lay down that burden? Will you lay down that shame? Put it down and come to Jesus and let Him cleanse you. He's already paid the price. He's waiting. Will you do it this morning? I'm going to ask uh, Brother Bill if he'll come in just a minute. And I think, the uh, uh, Priscilla, you guys are going to come back up. And again, I just want to encourage you. Again, this has been on my, my mind for many, many months. Because I know one of the things sometimes that keeps us... Brother Bill last week did an excellent job of giving, presenting the gospel and giving an invitation. And yet I can't help but think that some people sit out there and they don't respond because they've got such shame. That they just don't think God can love somebody like them. That God can value somebody like them. But I'm telling you, man, He loves you just as you are. You don't have to clean anything up to come to Him. Now, He told that woman, by the way, He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and what? Sin no more. You want to go back out there and sin? Shame's going to come again. But cleansing is here, and it's waiting for you today. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. 
We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.